Today's program is brought to you by Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing, taking place on Saturday, June 18th at Nettle Meadow Farm. For more information, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Fun Man About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-host through this journey. <laughs> it's been a long Weekly weekend. journey of all things fermented. <laughs> Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. It has been a long weekend and a long week. I started last week off with a 3D, 3D, 3D and 3-day work trip <laughs> in Washington, D.C. I went straight from there via Amtrak to the National Homebrewers Conference, a.k.a. Homebrew Con 2016 in Baltimore, Maryland. Chris drove all of our stuff down and joined me on Thursday morning, and we had an absolutely amazing three days. There's some last-minute cellaring to do and things to tend to here in New York, but it has been, once again, just awesome and amazing to to reunite with all our, our, our homebrew brethren from around the country and to... Get get our learn on at the seminars, and uh, taste a lot of really good beer, cider, mead, and other beverages, and make a lot of new friends. Absolutely, I think one of the coolest things. Well, a I did a so I uh, did a seminar called Trouble Free Tart Beers. Knocked it out of the park. It was so good, (laughs) really well done. I did uh, I did prep for it, but you never know how it'll how it'll go last minute. So we did actually bring twenty gallons of beer down. I had two different uh, kettle soured blended beers. Um, that Chris helped me make from actually work from Greenpoint uh, Heartland. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. It was like one of those collaborations where, or, you know, those drawings where you draw an arm and then a draw a body and then you draw another arm. And yes, what do they call that's that? kind of true. <laughs> kind of um, I don't know. It's not important, right? Hangman. Now. That's not not really. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, so I did give a seminar Thursday afternoon. Um, Yeah, it went really well. There was they put me in a nine hundred person room, which is a little bit scary. But according to people that were there and uh, and how much beer we kicked, which was all of it, I think there were around seven or seven hundred and fifty there. So it was absolutely amazing to have that many people come to the seminar and for me to be able to get all the words out that I wanted to get out. I did uh, publish the notes from the seminar on my blog, My Life on Craft, and then the AHA is going to upload all of the seminars, both the slide decks as well as audio um, from the seminars. So even if you didn't get to go to the National Homebrewers Conference, become an AHA member today. And get access to all, all of these seminars. And that is one of my resolutions is that 
probably on a weekly or or twice a week, I'm going to make sure that I download and listen to a seminar that I haven't before, both from this year as well as years past. Um, Because there were a lot of seminars this year, but I also know from from years past that I didn't get to go to you. There were six seminars at a time this year. Outstanding job for the AJ for organizing this whole thing. And there were just so many good sound seminars, so many things that I heard about uh, for people that attended. And um, so anyway, that's one resolution I'm going to make is to listen to a lot of the seminars. What are some of your other favorite things from? from wow. Well, I guess I have to say one of my favorite things is so I did mention during my seminar that I did a lot of other fermentations and I put some photos up and it was super cool to have people come up that not only listen to the show but also even if they didn't listen to the show that do all kinds of other fermentations. So I had questions about sauerkraut and yogurt and sourdough bread and all kinds of things, or just people come up to me and say, Hey, you know, I think it's so cool. I also make yogurt at home or also, I also make sauerkraut at home. So that was cool to see how much, you know, brew home brewers are branching out into other fermentation. So that Indeed. was also cool. A big shout out to uh, one of the first listeners that we met while out there named David White. Uh, he gave us uh, a, a selection of beers for us to take home, as well as some of his homemade fermented hot sauce, which I righteously immediately dove into after our long drive yesterday back. And uh, David, if you're out there, that's it's awesome. And I'm very much enjoying the hot sauce. Thank you so much. We haven't opened those beers yet, but it was really a pleasure to meet you um, and all the rest of you listeners that we saw. Absolutely. Um so let's see. One of the other highlights was the Milk the Funk bottle share. Oh, yeah. So I I had kind of knew it was going to happen. I actually did not bring beer to share, but um, but I knew a bunch. Of, I'd met a bunch of the people that were going, so it did turn out it was outside of Jeff Mello's seminar room. When I went to Jeff Mello's se- seminar. So this was Milk the Funk is a Facebook group, an absolutely outstanding Facebook group, all about thing brewing funky so brewing with lacto and pdo and brett and barrel aging and everything they have a great wiki um great resource yeah really really great resource lots of people doing amazing stuff and let me tell you especially after meeting a lot of the other uh milk the funkers and tasting their beverages i was even more impressed so that was one of the fun things i did i was carrying my recorder with me all the time so i went ahead and grabbed uh some short interviews we'll call it what did you just pour me um we're at the milk the funk meetup uh, which is following Jeff Mello of Bootleg Biology, who we've had on the show a couple of years ago. Wonderful seminar. So I was just bored a beer by Justin Stein, who is from Toronto, Canada. Tell me a little bit about this beer. Uh, hey, uh, so I brewed this back in 2012. Um, it's actually a blend of two from two carboys. One was uh, Trois. Bretois, uh, now, now we know Sactois. Back then it was called Bretois. And uh, the other one was from some dregs I grew up from uh, Beer Table Table Beer by Stillwater. And uh, that had some, I think, lacto and Brett in it, uh, actual Brett. And so I blended the two of those uh, after a few months um, at uh, high firm temps. And uh, they're both pretty dry. And then uh, aged it with uh, mulberries that I picked from my tree. And it sat in the carboy for about a year before I bottled it, and it's been in bottles for almost three years now. Awesome. Now, what do you mean by You said you fermented it at high temp, so what is your definition of Oh, temp? it was probably about 80 Fahrenheit, I'd say, um, trying to yeah, really dry it out and uh, yeah, maybe get a little fun character out of it. So did you taste this earlier? Oh, yeah. I've been drinking it for years. Yeah. How, did it, how has it changed? It's funny. It went through a period where it had a distinct like spearmint kind of flavor, uh, which I was never... I was like, It was like the first time I'd ever really tasted that in a beer from, you know, wild yeast and stuff. 
Um, the fruit flavor has really faded over time, but I really like the way the funk has uh, emerged. Someone just said he reminded him of an English cider in its kind of forest floor mushroomy kind of flavors. And... I agree. It's a little peppery, too. Yeah. It's got a lot of, I mean, it's actually really drinkable, but it has a lot of depth to it. Yeah, and a, a really nice, like, it's pretty clean finish despite all that weird, yeah. funky stuff. No, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here with Roy Roberts from Washington, D.C. You just poured me a sour saison. Tell me how you made it. Uh, so I started with uh, saison using that DuPont yeast, which is notoriously finicky and so I did a split batch I was a little impatient so I soured half of it I have a, a house sour blend started as a Yeast Rosolari blend and I threw in various dregs and other cultures along the way and uh, so this beer is about three years old now awesome so did you sour it all uh, after not kettle sour like a true sour yeah, I soured after uh, a primary from the DuPont uh, Saison. I think once I pitched the souring bugs, this stuff was about uh, 1020 gravity. And when did you bottle it? I bottled this approximately two years ago. And have you tasted it over the two years? Yeah, from periodically I've tasted it. And has it changed at all? Not very much. Awesome. Well, it's delicious. It's got a nice tartness, a lot of balance. Thank you. So, cheers. I'm here with Gary Sharp from Silver Spring, Maryland. You just poured me a... It's a strawberry sour brown porter. And tell me how you made it. It's delicious, first of all. Like, really good strawberry characteristic. Oh. Well, thank you. So I have two little five-gallon barrels that I do most of my sours in. Um, so it's this one just went uh, straight after chilling into the barrel. It batch-racked out. This one went in. No more yeast or, or bugs added. Um, so it's kind of spontaneous fermentation. It spends two to three months in the barrel. Um, then I aged it for another couple months in a carboy. Um, then added six pounds of frozen strawberries. And it sat there for another couple months. And then I kegged it and brought it here. Awesome. So there was no blending or anything involved? No, no blending. Okay. And that was five-gallon batch, six pounds Correct. of strawberries? Yes. Awesome. Now, I also enjoyed your black gosa last night. Yes. Which is a similar process, correct? Correct. So tell me a little bit about that. So black gosa was the same. It's a, a same process, traditional um, gosa recipe, except for I substituted in a pound of midnight wheat for um, one of the pounds of wheat, and then just a little bit of salt, a little bit of coriander, um, same, the barrel took care of the rest, and it's about... Um, they're both about seven months old at this point, so fairly young for a sour. But and how long have you been using that barrel, or these uh, two barrels? A couple years now. Okay. So, and how long did it take to where you got it, where you wanted it? I guess where it's producing the beers that you really like. The the early batches I left in a little too long because they're small barrels, and so they got a little too acidic. Um, so since then, I, I keep them in for a much shorter period of time. Um, so it, it took probably two or three batches just to get the right level of, of sourness and balance with the acetic acid. Um, but, yeah, so two or three batches. Cool. And did you inoculate the barrels initially? I did. I did a little bit with, um, I think it was Rosalari strain, and then just whenever I have a good sour, it, you know, the dregs go into the barrels as well. So. And what, what is the time range for, for time spent in the barrel, I guess? Two to three months, because okay. anything more, it gets too acetic. And have you played with it shorter times, like a month or? No, no. Okay. It's... Just curious. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you. Both of the beers were delicious. So. Thank you. Cheers. I'm here with Jamie Barlow from Ruckersville, Virginia. Yep. What'd you just pour me? Uh, this is an apricot lambic. It's been aging in a barrel for a couple years. And we just pulled a Solera, Solera sample. And so pulled it out. Um, 
lot of funk in there. Lots of uh, has an old Cantiana Iris uh, strain, Jolly Pumpkin, Dregs, Bug Farm, the usual suspects. But we aged it for a couple years, pulled it out. I put half on apricots and half on tart cherries. And you put those on in a carboy or a keg, or how do you do it? Uh, once I pulled it off of the uh, out of the barrel, put it into a carboy and let that go for a while. And actually. Um, it, it didn't pick up like I expected for all the sugars in there. So I guess it had been there so long that um, I had to repitch the bread. So I think that took away a little bit of the uh, fruit character, but I like it overall. And I, I, like, I like how it's tasting. But yeah, I, I didn't, didn't expect to have to re- repitch yeast for the, the sugar that I added. Right. Um, so tell me about your barrel. Mm-hmm. How big is it? Where did you get it? And how did you inoculate it? And how long have you been using it? That's a long story, but the original barrel was a bourbon barrel, and it was a homebrew club came together to fill it up, and we filled it up with an Imperial Porter and actually an old Denny Kahn recipe. And we had it in there for six months, and we made the mistake of not really tasting all the beers. And so after six months, we tasted it, and it had gone sour. And we were like, all right, we're pulling this out. I actually blended that Imperial Porter sour and made some really good Flanders brown with it, you know, by blending, which is not the right way to do it, I suppose. But um, it's going... We can do whatever we want. Exactly. As long as it's delicious. It's gone through some iterations. Um, so right after that was sour. So everyone after that has been a, a, a Lambic blend. It's on a third generation. It's pretty neutral right now. And actually, the pull before this is in the final round of the national competition for the mixed fermentation awesome. sour. Congratulations. Thank you. So did you guys, so after the border went sour, did you add more bugs to it? Or yes. did you just, okay. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm assuming it was, it, it tasted like lactobacillus to, uh, to us. And I don't know exactly where that went wrong but after that it was full on so um added a lot of bug farm to it i actually had an old bk yeast that was an isolate from uh cantillon iris and so just and also i love uh jolly pumpkins the uh the la roja i think it's a great so a lot of those dregs went into it and yeah i mean it's it's a it's like any other home brewer you taste a good beer you think that's a good thing you take those dregs and you add it and you keep adding it and you know, at the end, like Jeff Mello, I think, actually said, I think he told me this months ago, it's a competitive environment. So you might think you have this whole whole universe of bugs in there, but at the end of the day, two or three of them are winning out. So, and they've done well. Awesome. And how many beers have you guys pulled from the barrel so far? Three, if you count the Imperial uh, Sour Porter. So, but the first one did well, and I actually... The, a couple of the guys made it far into the national competition with that, but it's just been a great beer. It's a great base to work off of. Awesome. So. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. Charlie. I'm here with Matthew Jordan from North Haven, Connecticut. What did you just pour me? Um, it is a sour saison. Uh, it was fermented with the uh, White Labs American Farmhouse blend and then dregs from uh, Crooked Staves Petite Sour with Passion Fruit and KC Saison, both from Colorado. How long did it ferment? Um, it was about six months from uh, now until bottling, and then I took about two gallons of it, bottled it this way, and then I took the remaining three, three and a half, and I aged it on five and a half pounds of peaches. So. And did you bottle that as well? Yes, and I'll bring some over in a minute. So. Awesome. This is delicious. So. Thanks. Thank you. I'm with Mark Nishu of the D.C. Homebrewers Club in Washington, D.C. What would you just pour us? Okay, so this is a, a Britannomyces aged Old Ale. Uh, came out to about 17%. It was uh, initially based on Thomas Hardy's Old Ale uh, recipe um, and uh, added uh, high-gravity yeast from uh, White Labs in addition to Britannomyces 
the Brettanomyces bruxellensis strain. So, Both at the same time? Uh, the, Bruc, the Brett Brux after the high gravity yeast. So the primary fermentation, though, was with uh, Burton Ale. So the kind of traditional British uh, barley wine strain. And then when did you add the high gravity yeast? Uh, after that. So the high gravity and then Bru- Brett Brux to finish it. And what, do you remember your original gravity on this beer? Uh, it was like 1.150, and this actually got down to 0.998, so it's about 17%. And how, how old is this? Uh, almost a year and a half now. So how long was it till you, till you brewed it and, and bottled it? Uh, about a year. Okay. And then did you re-yeast it bottling? Uh, no, this is off a keg. Okay. So I, uh, Cool. Thank yeah, you. I'm hot here with Kyle Core Morgan from St. Louis, Missouri. So you are a brewery in planning at this point. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you just poured me. So this is uh, Flanders Red from uh, 2012. Uh, I bottled it in two, October 2012. Uh, brewed it middle of 2011 sometime. Uh, what, like my second batch of sour beer, really. Uh, it's kind of like the beer that made me go down the rabbit hole of sour beer. Well, thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, it's a, it was a split batch. I did uh, half of it um, with just like the second uh, runnings of, or the second uh, generation of the Rosalaire strain, and the other one is just bottle drag. So like, just you know, uh, making the beer and then like having a sour beer party and then pouring them all in the carboy. So. So you are doing a talk tomorrow on brewing saisons. Yeah. That's what you've been doing for the last year. So give people a preview because all of these presentations, even the people that aren't here at NHC, the presentations will be available to AHA members. So give us a little preview of what you're going to talk about. So yeah, it's, you know I, I pick saison to brew uh, over and over again. Like that was my thing. I love saison, and we'll, we'll go over like my basically my opinions about brewing saison. But like it's more about um, uh, brewing a recipe over and over again. So like you know what what brewing the same style of beer over and over again like gets you as a brewer you know for me um you know i i basically can like wake up in the morning and like don't i don't have to open my computer i can just make beer you know um but also like just dialing it in you know uh um, really having a um kind of a voice as a brewer about a certain style of beer that's 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 what i've gained through a year and a half or so of, of making uh the same style of beer so you're brewing, you're going to plan on brewing a lot of saisons for your brewery, as well as some sours, correct? So tell me a little bit about kind of your general plans, what you want to bring to beer drinkers. Well, so like uh, the more I got into it, the more I, um, uh, the more I started to like really like look at the brewery and the more I started to brew saison, like I thought that, you know, if, if, if the public can drink it, if the, you know, if, if I'm going to sell it all, we'll only make saison. Uh, and then also sour beer. So, like, we have um, a very small brewery. It will be about uh, 1,000 to 1,500 uh, barrels, but we'll have about 6,500 or 7,000 square feet because we're going to have a lot of oak. And so, like, we'll do a lot of um, um, oak conditioning as well as open fermentation. So, like, we'll have uh, – we really want to concentrate on that. We'll have, like, you know, uh, windows into the brewery showing the open fermentation so people can kind of see, like, what's going on during fermentation. Um yeah, if, if you know the public like wants it and they well, I can sell it, uh, I'll only do saison. If you know if if, if, if 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 I need to, I'll brew other things. And I can I, and I love other styles of beer, but I want to brew saison first and foremost. So that's what we'll start with at least. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure drinking your beer, and best of luck. Well, thank you. All right, thanks to everybody that shared their beer with me at the um, Milk the Funk bottle share at National Homebrewers Conference, especially those that were we just heard from, including Justin, Roy, Gary, Jamie, Matthew, Mark, and Kyle. A special congratulations to Jamie Barlow, 
who um, took gold in specialty beer, category 26, with a mixed fermentation sour. This is especially noticeable because this category had 810 entries. The second, That's insane. I know. The second biggest category was, uh, I think the IPA category, like 400, just over 450 categories. So The second biggest was half of the biggest. Yeah, pretty That's much. So awesome. I didn't, that was actually not one of the ones that I got to taste, but both of the ones from him were delicious. And honestly, every single beer that I had at the Milk the Funk bottle share was delicious. So anyway, we'll be back with more uh, outtakes from NHC 2016 after the break. Outtakes, full takes. Nettle Meadow Farm Cheese and Spirits Pairing is a celebration of good food and beverages in the newly restored Barn Loft event venue at Nettle Meadow Farm in Thurman, New York. On Saturday, June 18th, come sample and savor, then buy your favorite cheeses and beverages to take home. Nettle Meadow cheeses have been praised highly in national media and have won prestigious awards from the American Cheese Society. Taste samples of goat and sheep cheeses paired with an array of local regional wines, beers, and ciders. You'll never forget your first sample of rich, creamy Kunick, Nettle Meadows' trademark cheese. In Esquire, our very own Ann Saxelby said, Kunick, it may very well be the sexiest cheese in the USA. Nettle Meadow Farm is a goat and sheep dairy and cheese company in Thurman, New York, just below Crane Mountain in the Adirondacks, between Gore Mountain, North Creek, and Warrensburg. It's owned and operated by Lorraine Limbiase and Sheila Flanagan. Both have a great love of animals, artisan cheese, and the unique challenges of farm life. Nettle Meadow Farm was originally founded in 1990, and it's the home of over 300 goats, dozens of sheep, and a variety of farm sanctuary animals. Again, the Cheese and Spirits pairing is Saturday, June 18th. For more information and tickets, visit NettleMeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. That's N-E-T-T-L-E, MeadowCheeseAndSpirits.com. Welcome back to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This is somewhere in our 160th area episodes. Uh, we are fresh back from the National Homebrewers Conference. We're very, very excited and maybe a little bit still uh, high off of our research and development. Uh, it was a lot of fun, really and truly inspiring. I am really bummed that I did not make that Milk the Funk bottle share that we just heard all about. Uh, there's lots of stuff going on on my end. I didn't go to the seminar, all the seminars I wanted to because I'm deep in opening up uh, Fifth Hammer Brewing Company and I had a lot of manufacturer uh, conversations and, and met with reps and uh, I'm making progress on that. I'm very excited about it, but that's all pro stuff. The Joe stuff is what this episode <laughs> is about. I'm very excited and inspired to talk about this next segment. All right, so next up, uh, I went to the seminar by Jeff Mello, who I last heard in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's actually where we met him. We also had him on episode 82, which was called The Yeast Wrangler. Um, so we talked to him on the expo floor. We are here at the National Homebrewers Conference, a.k.a. Homebrew Con, in Baltimore, Maryland. 2016. With- with Jeff Mello of Bootleg Biology. <laughs> Jeff is uh, out of Nashville, Tennessee. We had you on the show a couple years ago after you spoke at Grand Rapids uh, Homebrew Con. So, at the time, you were just expanding uh, 
from from uh, small props to uh, a giant warehouse. How has the progression gone? Where are you now? Oh man, it's it's been so crazy. It just you know, trying to scale up from essentially a home eatery to something that's actually a little bit more legit in a commercial space is. It was a, a massive undertaking, and I've learned so much about the process of the regulatory things and just getting a business up and running. It's just—it's been amazing. But um, we've gone from you know 40 strains, you know, that I was essentially culturing in my kitchen to we have over 180 cultures that we've collected and um, contributors have sent to us. Um, so it's been an amazing, an amazing process. And so we're we're now. Um, actually able to brew or make eight beer barrel pitches in our lab we're partnering with a local brewery so we can actually do up to 60 beer barrel pitches two of all of our cultures um, and we're now doing brewery qc services all through that so just a, a lot of things to learn and everything we learn um, we try to give back to the community and post on our social media feed so other people can learn from what we're doing as well so so tell us about, you have strains available. Not only do you have yeast wrangling kits, but you have strains available to home brewers and professional brewers. Where are these available? Well, we've, we started selling them on our website, and then um, once we run out of that, there's a, a few homebrew stores that have supported us from the beginning that we um, propping up for them. And so there's two stores in Nashville, Rebel Brewer in All Seasons, and D.C. Homebrew Shop in D.C. Um, and so as we expand our capabilities, we're going to try to add to that. But in the meantime, we've, we've had two local yeast strains, so we, we have almost 200 strains in our bank, and so we're really doing a lot of testing to find the best ones we, we really like and think people are going to enjoy. Um, so beyond that, we also have the Dusty Bottoms collections that's not local yeast. We go and find bottle drags and things that are on the funkier side um, and see people who want to make bread IPAs or make a, a funky saison. So we have a Funk Weapon 1 and Funk Weapon 2, so it's a series of um, funkier bread strains. Um, and then mixed culture souring blends. We actually just released our Sour Weapon, which is 100% wild, souring pediococcus culture that you can actually do quick souring with. And I, I don't know if anyone has done that before, but we're getting amazing results, and it really goes toe-to-toe with any other lacto-cultures out there people are using. Well, I know what I'm doing when I get home. <laughs> Mel, I missed that. What website was that? Uh, bootlegbiology.com. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> so you did a seminar yesterday that was excellent that I attended. So just give us people a preview of your seminar, people maybe that were at home and didn't get to come to National Homebrewers Con, and our members of AHA and can, uh, can listen to it on the web. Yeah, definitely. This was kind of a, a succession to my presentation in 2014, which is really talking about yeast wrangling and how to culture yeast and how to isolate it. So I really wanted to dig deep in what we've learned in the past two years of what really is wild yeast and really define it, because I think we, we have a new term that we want to use and really start describing certain yeast in different ways. And so we have a different feeling on how Brett should be described, how local culture should be described, um, and then really where to get those very specifically, and then what do they do? That was a thing that we didn't have a whole lot of information on is, you know, what strains are out there species-wise, um, and then how do you brew with them um, based on, you know, the way they perform or the aromas they create. And we're still building on that information, so this is kind of like the first step in that. Um, but I think you're going to really, really excited to hear about, you know, where we're going with this, too. So I'm really excited to talk to you again uh, after the years of research that you've done since we last spoke to you with regard to what sort of commonalities you might have found in the different samples from different regions that people have sent to you. So mm-hmm. when we last spoke to you, uh, you were accepting samples from anybody's region and anybody's, are you, are you still doing that? Uh, have there been any, any commonalities uh, that are worth noting uh, in, in, in this? 
You know, I, I, I hate to say it, but it's still still too early. You know, yeah. even with 180-something strains in the bank, I think we're just still scratching the surface of what we want to do. So I don't want to make any generalities right now on, on regional specific things. But I, I think there are some trends out there. Um, and we're working with the geneticist at the University of Washington, Matreya Dunham. Um, she's actually in the current issue of Beer Advocate because of the sequencing she's, work she's doing on beer, beer strains. So we're sending our local cultures to her to do the genome, look at the species, um, and then the ones that are really interesting, she's going to do a full mapping of the genome. And so with that information, we can really start pinpointing certain cultures, where they're from on a species level, not just region-wise, but which ones grow on flowers, which one goes on fruit, which ones are more likely to be in the air. And then we can really dive into those flavor and aroma characteristics that are not even just regional, hyper-local, and then specific to the thing that they were growing on or found. So there's so much exciting things that's going on right now, and I'm going to definitely continue reporting on that on our website, social media, and Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and then hopefully in a future homebrew con, we'll be talking more about what we found. And people can partic- still participate and send you samples, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, this is an ongoing pursuit. This is you know pretty much our mission for bootleg biology is to create this local yeast project that as many cultures we can find, we're trying to get a yeast from every zip code. There are several thousand, so we got a lot more work to do, and we need your help, and we're going to do whatever we can to help you, you know, learn about cultures, and then hopefully you'll send it to us too. So. so people can learn about, not only can they order kits from you, but they can also learn exactly how to do it step by step. If you want to collect wild yeast from your area, from your zip code, and send it into Jeff, and they can find that all on bootlegbiology.com. Yep. BootlegBiology.com, um, our DIY section, it's got all that information. And the kit is all the tools you need in one easy thing, but you can build it with just the information you have on our website, so it's entirely up to you. But um, homebrew stores around the country are carrying the kit and our website, so whatever works best for you. And I promise you a sample from 11249 yes. two, two years ago, and I am actually going to make good on that. Please, I wrote that on my hand, and I didn't wash that hand, so I didn't forget that you said that. But our friend Daily Crafting did submit a 11211, which actually our house used to be 11211. They changed the area code on a zip code. Like, so, but, so at least now it's different, different. Yeah, so we have some Brooklyn representation, but our goal is to get you more. Yeah, you can't yeah. let Daily one-up you. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. But I do vow to, with Fifth Hammer, do a collaboration with Daily Crafting and submit it to Pro-Am using the 11211 culture. And that's now on radio, and I commit to that. Okay. Okay, then I'll write that one on my other hand. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck. I, I look forward, you know, we both look forward to, to following what you're doing. And, and also, I definitely got to get some of your uh, yeast and bacteria strains. Really quick, just because I want to put this in the ether. I, I'm, I, am, I am very, I'm not too political. I, I'm very left-wing with a lot of stuff. I'm going to get here at all. But I, I do love America and our culture. And I've, I've traveled the country a lot uh, touring with bands and seeing what you see in America, the diversity of what of, of the landscape and everything else is amazing. The cultures, the people is, is totally amazing. What we don't think about is the cultures that you are yeah, propagating. They're... The things you don't see. The, the This culture and the way of celebrating this and the diversity of culture of these cultures mm-hmm. in, in, in within one country or, or our, our states and the diversity of what we have is just awesome. And I think it, and it's something I didn't really think about or didn't look at, but it's something to be celebrated. And what you're doing is, is just awesome. That, I, I just I, want to say that. I appreciate that. that. And we are so excited about local, not just because we, we geek out about microbes, but we, we care about where we live. We, we love the other places we've visited and what people are doing there. And whatever you're doing to build your community, whether it's starting a brewery or focusing on local cultures, 
you know, celebrate what you're doing, and we want to help you tell the world about what you're doing and what you're finding. And if that's microbes or just making amazing beer, I want to be a part of it. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and um, please, I urge you to listen to Jeff's seminar from 2014, and then also the current seminar, and send in your zip code yeast strain. Cool. Cheers. Thank Cheers. you, guys. Cheers. Man, that Jeff Mello is such a great guy. He's great. I did actually, so I, I had ordered back in 2014, I would ordered all the equipment in bulk to start um, collecting wild yeast, and then I signed my book contract, and I went that way instead. Um, but I did actually, so I have all this equipment, I did actually buy a bootleg biology kit, because I want to have the whole thing and, and experience, you know, do it right. Uh, and it's such a cool kit that he has. Anyway, you can order those. And then I actually ordered the, the Petri dish refill as well so that I have everything. I can't. There's no turning back. I have to, to start this this year. I want to collect a bunch of wild yeast samples. Bootlegbiology.com. Get your neighborhood banked. Exactly. So next up, I was wandering around the expo, and White Labs is now offering a kombucha scope. This is all really great because it's all really relevant. We were just talking about kombucha to, to, our, to our engineer, engineer Pierre. Pierre. Um, and also that reminded me that one of the beers or one of the things that we served at Club Night and at NHC was a, a blend of kombucha and a short mead. So I read your book, Mary. Well, not all of it. I read some of it. I was there. I lived your book with you for nine months. And... and uh, I made this short mead with with some for an event that that was going on. Two weeks went by, and I didn't have time to keg the the, the short mead. And now it had been sitting for for like four months. It went really really dry. It went longer than that. Way long. Okay, fine, longer than that. Well, what is it? It's a month six six months ago. This is six months ago. Six months. Um, but blended that with some kombucha that we had, some peach kombucha, and it made an incredible beverage. Like blending, I don't think we're doing enough blending, um, and blending all the different beers from your or things from your book is a really fun thing. But anyway, back to <laughs> White Labs kombucha. and kombucha scobies. So I went by the White Labs booth to ask, hey, what's the deal with the kombucha scoby? So let's talk to Eric Fowler. I'm here at Homebrew Con in Baltimore, Maryland, 2016, with Eric Fowler from White Labs. So you guys recently came out. You're now offering a kombucha scoby. Yes. Yeah, so we've just released it. Um, it should be shipping to your local homebrew stores within the next couple weeks. Um, we've seen a lot of market demand. We've put on kombucha fermentation-focused classes over the last year. Uh, we're working on a lot of new curriculum that should be released by the end of this year. So what inspired you guys? I mean, you, you mentioned market demand, but is that kind of the inspiration? Just people, a lot of people were, you're seeing a lot of interest, a lot of people were asking about it? Yeah, so I mean, kombucha for the most part is a product that people like producing organically at home. Um, but where that lacks, in our opinion, or where we're seeing somewhere we can expand to is consistency. So we want to create a product that a home brewer or a home brew kombucha maker or a professional kombucha producer can create a consistent product um, and we can give them the breakdown of what's actually in that SCOBY so that they can have an idea of what what types of acids and flavors are going to be produced. Awesome. And then how is your kombucha, is, is the SCOBY coming? Are you guys drying it or is it fresh? Or Yeah, it, it's fresh, suspended okay. in liquid. Okay, awesome. And then it's in a pure pitch package. It's a little, little larger than the homebrew yeast that people are used to seeing. Okay, cool. And then you mentioned that you might have some other things of interest to fermenters out there. Yeah, so in, I'm the education coordinator, um, so I do a lot of internal and external classes. Now, um, you mentioned classes. Tell people a little bit about your space, like where are you guys giving these classes for people that aren't familiar and okay. haven't been out there. So we're based in San Diego, California. 
we have a training room at our facility, but we've also take a lot of classes on the road. Um, a lot of it's professional focused, but we do offer homebrew workshops as well. Um, but internally, what I've been working with um, at our facility, I guess not internally, for the public, local to San Diego, are a fermented pairing series. So I wanted to showcase how many products are actually fermented that people are consuming. So a lot of people don't realize that coffee, chocolate, um, salami are fermented products. So what we've done is I've worked with a chocolatier. We did chocolate and beer pairing and then a, a class on the history of both those products and then conceptually how they pair together. Uh, most recently, I did a coffee class where we had one single base porter, which we infused with four different single origin coffees. And so a local roaster came and explained the difference between wash and natural process um, and how that affects the, the coffee beans when you get them at your house or in the coffee shop, um, and then how the different regions, similar to wine, come out with different products. So actually this Thursday, so what's today's date, the 11th? Yeah, uh, is that right? Yes. So I think the 18th, don't quote me on that. Um, I'm doing a fermented fruits and fruits, veggies, and meat class paired with beer. So they're doing a hard salami, a spreadable salami, fermented apricots, we are actually producing a kombucha to pair with that, and then we're going to use the in-house beer as well. Awesome. That's super, super cool. So where can people find out more about uh, what WhiteLabs.com. Uh, if you go into the education tab, you can see some of the more commercial classes. If you're based in San Diego or you want to see some of these programs taken on the road, you can send us an email or go to our tasting room page. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Cheers. Cool. Thank you. So White Labs is not only doing a lot of cool stuff in the traditional yeast category or yeast area, but they're doing some really neat education with fermented foods and pairings. Uh, last but not least, we are going to bring you an interview with Brian Wolf and John Wilson. I'm here in the expo of the National Homebrewers Conference 2016 in Baltimore, Maryland, with John Wilson here from here in Baltimore, and then Brian Wolf from Columbus, Ohio. So you guys did a fantastic seminar yesterday morning on Brewing Wild. So that will be available to download on the AHA website for AHA members. Um, but tell me a little bit about what your seminar was based on and give people a preview. Okay, well, you know, we what we wanted to do was uh, get people kind of reconnected with the uh, ancient traditions of brewing. And, you know, we, we kind of thought about the way that isolating yeast strains and the, the sanitizing of, of the, the equipment and the way that things were, were, were very specific in the brewing industry kind of took us away from the, the heart of brewing and, and what it is. And so when you, when you learn to, to play music, you, you first learn your scales. And I think as home brewers, we skip the scales and we go right into chopsticks. Uh, and I think that homebrew, you know, brewing wild kind of reconnects you to those ancient traditions of, of what it is. And it's something that's still done internationally. And even though we in the Western world uh, don't do it uh, as, as much as probably we should, it, it's a tradition that's going on and people are making delicious beverages brewing wild without fear. And so our seminar was, was kind of going over those types of traditional fermentations that were happening and how to integrate those techniques into our modern kind of homebrew practices and how to do it safely and, and in a way that you can produce kind of consistently good beer, if not consistent beer uh, because it's a little hard to do that when brewing wild and, and doing that to access flavors that you wouldn't get otherwise right that by limiting yourself to commercial strains you only get the flavors of commercial strain yeast and 
you have done an experiment. I know you poured a beer yesterday, and you talk about it in the seminar. You did. You made a beer with sourdough, and that's something that I do keep a sourdough culture at home. Most of the listeners know I also am a huge advocate of wild mm-hmm. fermentation. I've had uh, fermented palm wine in Cambodia, you know, straight from a reused water bottle in a tin <laughs> cup, you know. Uh, so I'm a huge advocate of uh, of lear- doing other fermentation. Sandor Katz is an absolute amazing guy. Um, anyway, but um, I have. That's on my list to do is try to do a sourdough starter. So I've been re reinvigorated, and that's one of the first things I'm going to do when I get home. Absolutely. And the, both of your beers were absolutely delicious. Thank you. So Thank what you. is um, so you volunteered for the Peace Corps? I did, I did. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Ghana for two years, and I worked uh, as a small inter- enterprise development volunteer. So I worked at uh, a two two sites. One was um, the site of the Last Bath, which is where the slaves uh, took their last bath on African soil before being sold to the Cape Coast Castle. And then the second site was a traditional rock shrine site, kind of developed for ecotourism. Ah, interesting. And that's where you had a lot of some of this direct exposure. I mean, your photos are absolutely amazing. Yeah, a, a lot of pito, a lot of palm wine, a lot of uh, the local beverages, because, you, you know, the, the, the people make beer in their homes the way that, that Europeans and Westerners did, you know, a, a couple hundred years ago. Uh, and that is, you know, or at least there was a woman somewhere in the village who made the beer for the community. Yeah. And uh, that was the way that people chose to drink because you had a connection to who was producing something you're putting into your body. Yeah. As opposed to a conglomerate that's making money, there's a lot of distrust for, well, that came from far away. We don't know what they put in it. You know, at least we know that Ama puts only millet and water and sugar in her, in her pizza. And so, you know, that, that brought the community together, that mm-hmm. trust of drinking that, that wild beverage from that person they know. That's awesome. So I got to ask, what else are you guys working on? What's, what's your future plans for for experimenting and brewing? Or uh, so so we have so far we have four ideas that we're going to be pitching for for next year's conference. Uh, the first one is a, a, a fairly scientific endeavor into brewing under pressure. So I've seen a lot of chatter online and a lot of guesses about what what that would do, but I've found no data. So. Like fermenting under pressure? Or? Yeah, yeah okay. fermenting under pressure. Yeah. So, and and you know, I know that a lot of commercial breweries use pressure. You, you know, I've, as, I've heard that, yeah. but... I'll one, give you a couple. Okay, yeah, but but I've, I've yet to see... You know, one, one site I saw said, I emailed, you know, 50 different breweries, and nobody said they ferment under pressure. So it would be interesting to see who, who it is. I can try to book you up. So. Yeah, that would be great. But yeah, so I'd like, at a, at a homebrew level, what effects it could have, and, you know, is it practical? Right. Um, for one of one of the ideas that I came across was um, I was reading an, an issue of Beer and Brewing magazine, and they were the the writer was in Lithuania, and he was sampling these traditional farmhouse Lithuanian beers, and these were beers that were were mashed but not boiled, and I thought that was a really interesting idea because you know here you, you're you're using these giant wooden fermenters um, that you can only sanitize but so much, and then you're adding unboiled liquid into them, and the kind of the flavor flavor profiles that he was getting and coming out, and and I found that really intriguing. This this, this idea. You, you know, growing straight in the mash and straight in the fermenter. Because when we talk about mead, and you know, you say never boil your honey because you're going to boil a lot of those volatile chemicals off that provide it flavor. And why wouldn't that transfer to the malt that you're developing? Now, now some of these what we call off flavors are probably flavors that we haven't developed before. You know, it used to be you know, Breton was a was a was a flaw in beer. You know, you got horse blanket and, and straw in your beer. That was a flaw, and people poured it out. Now people are looking for it, and I think that kind of looking into these types of beers, the, these old traditions are going to expand our palate so that we can demand a little bit more from the craft beer industry. And I, and I just love the idea of, of something coming out of a farmhouse in, in those old world traditions. So. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing more about your experiments in the future. It was a true pleasure both meeting you guys and drinking your beverage and being able to attend your seminar. So if people want more information, do you guys have websites or social media? or We're, we're developing a website soon, uh, and, and uh, it should launch in November. Um, but we will uh, we will contact you awesome. as, yes. soon as, it, as soon as it happens because you know when we met you we were like all right well we're, we'll sign up for your podcast and we'll we'll look you up online and that's what we did immediately awesome. so we'll contact you as soon as we launch it perfect well I look forward to uh, to the website so Thank you very much. cheers. Other learnings, I say awesome way too much, <laughs> but HomebrewCon, aka National Homebrewers Conference 2006, was incredibly awesome. Awesome. I mean, huge kudos to the American Homebrewers yeah, Association putting for putting this on. I mean, everything ran smoothly from club night to the, the pro night, which is named something else now, uh, to all the seminars, to social club, to pouring all this beer and coordinating all these people. It and was pulling amazing. pulling off this competition, and yeah. I'd be remiss not to mention... Uh, uh, Janice Gross, um, thank you for all your hard work over the years. Uh, she's retiring this year from from uh, the AHA, uh, and we will miss you dearly. Yep. Anyway, so if you didn't get to the National Homebrewers Conference, hopefully we brought a little of the experience to you. Uh, I highly recommend going. We have a couple of other inter- interviews left that we will play next <laughs> week. We'll hopefully be more rested. Rampage, uh, uh, tolerable. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, before we go, I want to mention a couple of local events. Uh, in particular, this upcoming Saturday at Arrogant Swine, the uh, summer solstice solstice session at Arrogant Swine. We have fifteen different, or sorry, twenty five, fifteen different pro beers, uh, session beers, alongside ten different uh, uh, homebrew beers and other ferments. Mary, I speak to you to that. Yep. <laughs> I think you're the only non-beer thing at this thing. Uh, and a whole hog and a whole lot of love and a whole lot of great people. You can go to joshuambernstein.com to find it. It is from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Um, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And the following week, uh, there's a pro-am uh, hang at Covenhoven put on by Bitter Nesters and our friend Robert Sherrill. Uh, basically, a bunch of pros have, have done basically a collaboration with some local homebrewers. Uh, and you can go taste them and Vote for your favorite, and that beer or a beer, another collaboration through the through the party will be made on the pro system at some point through the year. And then I want to mention one other event that's coming up. So first annual Long Island Homebrew Festival is going to take place August 20th. The important thing is is that uh, it's going to be another wort share. So homebrewers will pick up wort from Great South Bay Brewery in Bayshore, Long Island, on July 9th. You're going to have a choice of hopped or unhopped wort. Basically, you'll go home, brew something with that wort, and then you'll be able to pour it at this event on August 20th. We will continue to talk more about this in the future. But to sign up as a homebrewer and find out more information, go to hhcbc.org, click on events, and it'll, you'll see the first annual Long Island Homebrew Festival. So if you are interested in participating, sign up sooner than later. Fumen about it. Fumen about Talk it. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.